question is, are you ready? This is The Drive with Josh Graham. Walking here. On Sports Hub Triad. I'm going to be honest, the vibes are not what they usually are on a Friday show. Me and Robert are ECU grads, and the Pirates just got shut out to open up their Super Regional. I don't get it. This Vandy staff has two top ten picks on it. How is this team number four in the country? Somebody explain it to me. Two to nothing the final down in Nashville. Perhaps we could circle back to that story in a bit. Elsewhere, there are still details to be fleshed out on this 12-team playoff that was proposed yesterday. But the sense I've gotten from college football coaches and admins that I know is this. It's a done deal. It's going to be 12, the top four will get buys, the next four will get home games in round one, and there's going to be automatic qualifiers. And while I think 12 is not a perfect number, it's still a significant upgrade from four teams. Everybody wants perfect when nothing really ever is. It's like, you remember when you were taking the SAT? Robert, where did you take your SATs? I took it South Granville High School in Creedmoor, North Carolina. Where did you take it in the triad? I took it at my high school in North Davidson. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if you read the books or if you were coached up at all, but one of the things I remembered, one of the intentional testing measures is to provide answers or to have questions that don't have a clear, obvious right answer. This is an intentional thing that they would do. Sometimes the right answer isn't obvious, In those instances, you need to be able to discern what the best possible answer is. And I think that applies in many other areas of life, including here to the college football playoff. In college football, eight would have been ideal, but it wasn't realistic. The Power Five commissioners were not going to go for it. They'd fight, if it was eight, they'd fight a group of five automatic qualifier. The Bulls... They still have a lot of power in college football. They still carry their voices, carry a lot of weight in the voice, the representatives of these major bowl games. So if it were eight, there wouldn't be college campuses involved in it. You'd have these sterilized, neutral sites for all the college football playoff games, which is different than what we have with 12. And if neither the group of five was involved or a home field piece... I could guarantee there would be a group of five team and none of these games are going to be on campus. Quite frankly, I'd prefer to stay at four. That's why it had to expand to 12. Listen to what Greg Sankey said on the teleconference yesterday. This is the SEC commissioner. You remember Jim Phillips is the new ACC commish. He's new to the party, as is Kevin Warren. This is his second year from the Big Ten. The Pac-12 just hired a new commissioner. Greg Sankey runs the SEC. The SEC has, I think, the most say in what happens with college football, and he's the commissioner of the league. So what he says, I'm not going to go as far to say goes, but odds are he has the biggest say. So this is how he addressed it when asked why 12 made more sense than 8. My sense is there's been an expectation for automatic access. Uh, I don't think automatic access works 
if you're reducing opportunities for those teams that are highly ranked. In other words, going to eight and allocating a certain number of AQs, thereby reducing effectively the at-large numbers is not something um, that really resonated from my perspective. There you go. They wanted more at-large bids than four, which is what it currently is without any automatic qualifiers. So that was a non-starter from the SEC's perspective. If you want AQs, that's fine. We need to have more than four automatic, more than four at-large bids, excuse me. 12 isn't perfect, but it's a significant upgrade from four. The 12-team proposal is a massive win for the little guy. An important detail in how it's written. It's not the highest-ranked group of five team gets a spot in the 12. That's not what it is. It's the top six-ranked conference champions. So if a 7-6 and six or let's call them an 8-5 and five team beats Clemson in the ACC championship, they're not guaranteed a college football playoff spot because they would have to be higher ranked than some of the other conference champs out there, which means there's a chance not just for one group of five team to make the playoff, but multiple. That would have happened last year. Cincinnati was ranked in the top 10. There wasn't a Pac-12 team ranked in the top 15. They were not a good league last year. So when I looked at the top-ranked conference champions, it included Cincinnati and also Coastal Carolina. Coastal Carolina would have made it from the Sun Belt. And as soon as I saw that at the end of yesterday's show, I thought... We've got to talk to Sean Clark. I want to know what Sean Clark thinks from Appalachian State because they have Chase Bryce this year. They have their top two receivers in Hennigan and Sutton. They got Demetrius Taylor on the D-line. They've got a pretty good out-of-conference schedule. If they run the table, you might be talking about Appalachian State representing the G5, and even if it's not the top-ranked G5 school, you could make it just like Coastal Carolina would have been able to. Now, of course, it's not for this season, right? I'm just speaking hypothetically. There's hope for places like East Carolina where me and Robert went to school. There's hope for Appalachian State when before there just wasn't. That's exciting. It's exciting for the little guy. I was a little surprised that the details favored them as much as they do. There's so much a big part of college football, the little guy, the underdog, that them getting a pretty significant upgrade to their odds and chances of making this field, it's a heartening thing. Plus, it maintains the importance of the regular season and the conference championship games. 12 does that. I was concerned they'd be able to do it until I saw it broken down by Andy Staples a couple months ago when this was starting to generate steam. Only conference champions get the buys. Sure, that snows out Notre Dame. Maybe we can get to them in about 10 minutes. But you're going to encourage teams to win those conference championship games if they know that they get a bye week as a result of it. So those conference championship games still mean a ton. And every one of the 12 teams has something to fight for late in the year, so I'm not worried about teams taking weeks off either. 
The top four getting buys. Got to be a conference champion, too. The middle four, you're fighting to get a home game. And then the bottom four, just scrapping and clawing to be a part of the college football playoff altogether. It's not perfect, but boy, does it feel a lot better. I can't wait for this to get implemented. I hope it comes a lot sooner than 2025 or 2026. I really do hope they find a way to get this to us sooner rather than later. Again, a ton of details that still need to be ironed out. But what I'm being told is what you're reading. It's a done deal. 12 teams, first four get buys. The next four going to get home games. And they're going to be automatic qualifiers. A great step for college football. Let's get back to ECU. I'm still hopeful, Robert, even though today they went up against this Kumar Rocker who is unbelievable, pitched close to eight shutout innings before ECU got a base runner in the eighth and they decided to take him out. He's going to be a top 10 pick. Tomorrow, Jack Leiter, another top 10 pick they're going to be going up against. I'm not hopeful in the regard that I think ECU has better arms to throw at them, but there's a huge drop-off once you get past those first two starters. So if East Carolina can find a way, either today or tomorrow, to get one, I like their chances in Game 3. Maybe I'm delusional. That's possible. But if you're somebody that cares about this state or just loves really good stories, ECU baseball is the best North Carolina sports story to follow this weekend. They've never made it to the College World Series. If they go, if they advance after this weekend, I am taking my dad to Omaha next week. That's what we're going to do. I I will figure out a way to get there. 31 postseason appearances. Never made it to Omaha. No team has had as many postseason appearances without making it to the College World Series. Five of the last six years under head coach Cliff Godwin. They've had some really close calls in Texas Tech in 2016, so five years ago. They had this sharply hit ground ball with the bases loaded in the bottom of the 10th inning that hit a piece of the rubber wrong. Nine times out of the 10, it goes straight up the middle and ECU's going to Omaha. In this instance, it bounced off the top of the rubber and then inexplicably veered right to the second baseman, and then it was a put out at first. Just awful luck for East Carolina. But the reason why this story is so cool, in addition to ECU never being there before, the significance of the number 23. If you're a Pirate fan, you know what I'm talking about. But many of you might not know that ECU had a legendary baseball coach by the name of Keith LeClaire. Their stadium's named after this coach. He died of ALS. He put ECU baseball on the map in the 90s, made them really competitive, very well respected in the college baseball community today. If you play for ECU baseball, they hand you a book by an author named Bethany Bradshaw that tells you the entire story about Keith LeClaire. But when he arrived at ECU, his big thing was, we're going to elevate this thing and we're going to talk about Omaha. We're going to talk about going to the College World Series. Then he got ALS, and he still didn't stop. He didn't stop being involved with the Pirate Program. He didn't stop talking about Omaha. And one of his last public comments was, Omaha still something I think of. I know we're going to get there soon. After he passed, they gave out the number 23 to somebody they felt best exuded the traits that Keith LeClaire had until one of his former players came back to ECU as alma mater, Cliff Godwin, decided to wear the number himself 
and said, I'm going to get East Carolina back to Omaha. And when that happens, I'm going to retire the number 23. Nobody's ever going to wear this number again. That's the story of the number 23. I know Cliff. I know that a few years ago, a national title contending program, Mississippi State was looking for a coach, offered him a job that would have at least quadrupled his pay. He turned it down because of how much it meant to him getting the Pirate Baseball program back to Omaha. I really do hope it's this year, but it's not off to a good start. ECU dropping game one of their Super Regional 2 to nothing at Vanderbilt. Sean Clark, App State coach, going to join us in a little over 15 minutes. Let's get to the Notre Dame point. After a lot of thought on this, I do think eventually the Irish are going to join the ACC. Sooner rather than later. And I'll tell you why I think that next. And now, The Drive with Josh Graham on WSJS Sports. We were on air when the college football playoff committee had its press conference yesterday or the member group featuring Notre Dame AD Jack Swarbrick, SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey, the Mountain West Commissioner, and also Bob Bowlesby were up there talking about this 12-team proposal. And as we were on air talking about it, I couldn't help but think of our next guest, Sean Clark, App State coach, joining us now because I looked at what the format would have looked like if it was applied, say, to last season. Coastal Carolina, because they were one of the top six conference champions, they would have been a part of the playoff had the 12-team format that's been proposed been in effect a year ago. How big of a headline is this expanded playoff for Appalachian State, in your view? Well, I think it's big for college football in general. Uh, Probably more importantly for the group of five. Uh, Like you mentioned earlier, if it was last year, Coastal Carolina would have gotten in, and and so so does Cincinnati. And so uh, I, I do believe that things have to line just right. I go back to 2019 with us, or 13 and one, have two Power Five wins versus North Carolina and South Carolina, and we lose to Georgia Southern. And at that time, after that loss, Memphis was ranked ahead of us. But I do believe it's good for college football. Uh, I think that um, you go back into the, the 90s when we were FCS here at Appalachian State, we had we were 16 teams in the playoff, and everything was just fine. But on the flip side of things. I don't want to see the bowl games get to, to be taken away. I mean, that's big for all college football, that if you have a great season, you get a chance for postseason play and, and really get a chance to propel yourself into the next season. With the returning players that you have, guys like Demetrius Taylor, for example, you describe them to be super seniors, I think, in our last visit. Is the playoff something you discuss as a goal now, as a legitimate, obtainable goal for this year? Well, just for us personally, you know, our goal is always to win the Sun Belt Conference Championship and, and do things the right way. And I do believe if you if you win the Sun Belt um, and you you have some big wins throughout your season, then you should be in the talk of things. But it goes back to your resume. And uh, you mentioned we're very fortunate to have twelve super seniors back this year. And you know, what what a chance for a, a very good football team this year. Again, we have to to play our brand of football and and catch a few breaks along the way. But we should, if we do our job and uh, where our conference, we should be in the talks. Yeah, because it's not just the Sun Belt. You mentioned resume. You've got Miami on the schedule. You've got East Carolina. 
You've got Marshall, and they've got a pretty darn good quarterback, as we saw a year ago on that roster. If you run the table with this schedule, I don't know if anybody else is going to be able to rival it in the G5. If you look at our schedule this year, we have a very tough uh, tough schedule. It's one of the top uh, rated non-conference schedules in the country. Again, you mentioned we open up against East Carolina in-state rivalry or in-state school uh, in Charlotte, which is going to be a, a big game. They're getting better year by year. I have a lot of respect for their coach down there. And, and then go on the road again versus National Powerhouse in Miami, and that's going to be a great experience for our players. Come back and play another in-state opponent, Elon, then play Marshall here on Thursday night ESPN game. So, very tough a non-conference, something we're very looking forward to. But you know that first game right now is all we're all it's where our eyes are right now. App State coach Sean Clark with us here on WSJS Sports. Robert Walsh, the producer of this show, is an East Carolina graduate. I'm an East Carolina graduate as well. I talked to Daniel Jeremiah about this a few months ago. In the state of North Carolina, there are two schools in this state I believe truly qualify as being football schools. The town just breeze football. And that is Greenville, North Carolina for the Pirates, and of course, where you're at, in Boone. Should ECU App State be an every year type of series in your mind? I, I think anytime you play an in-state opponent, I think it's great for your state. I think it's great for college football. Um, I do believe that you know, it's great for the fans. Uh, if we go out and play a non-conference opponent and and somewhere in the West, you know, it's, our fans don't travel very well, but we have a chance to play in Charlotte, which is a big fan base, a big alumni base for us. And, and that's, that's big for college football, a chance to really sell that sell the stadium out. And I'm sure if East Carolina comes to Boone or we go to Greenville, those are sold out, sold out venues. And I think from an athletic standpoint, from monetary and budgets, I think it's just, you can drive, take, you can take a bus. You're not spending the money on a plane and, and your fans will travel and both, for East Carolina and App State, both fan bases are very passionate and love their football. And I just do, but I believe it's great for college football, especially in state. One more thing on the playoff format before we get deeper into your team. Sean Clark with us, App State coach. As a coach, would you feel comfortable with the players getting into up to 17 games? I feel comfortable. I know when I was here as a player, uh, we made it all the way to the, the semifinals and we were just fine. Uh, again, I think uh, athletes are a lot stronger and faster and uh, more durable today than we were in the past. And, and I see no nothing wrong with that. And you look at the National Football League, that's what they're doing now. And um, I, I do believe it would be just fine. I'd imagine having weapons like Hennigan and Sutton to throw to will make the transition for any quarterback easier. Big shoes to fill with Zach Thomas leaving. What has immediately impressed you about Chase Price working with him this spring? Just the way he's um, gotten the respect from our players on our football team. Anytime you have a uh, someone coming to your program who comes from a different school, who's not familiar with the culture we have here, and just the way the players really just gravitated toward Chase. And, and Chase knew that he had to earn respect from our players and his work ethic, the way he demands the huddle. Uh, I think he's a, a proven leader. I mean, he had some big wins when he was at – Clemson and, and, and Duke this past year, and, and we're very excited for Chase. His chance to get a, a clean slate, and, and he'll start off this year as our starting quarterback. And, and But, again, a lot of respect for Chase, the way he handles his business. What was that process like, transitioning from Zach Thomas to Chase and using the transfer portal to your advantage? Because I understand whatever sport you're talking about, the portal is a big part of the conversation. 
Well, I'm not a big fan of the portal, to be honest with you. I don't think it's good for college football. Um, so they're trying to look at our roster right now and try to do roster management. But the rules are there for a reason. And, and if we have an extra scholarship, we're going to go out and fill holes within our, our roster. Um, but I, I just, you know, you talk about the, the transfer portal. I just think it's, it's tough. I mean, what are we teaching our, our young, our young men to, when things get tough or you're not playing, you, you jump in the portal. If you look at the portal right now, there's roughly 5,000 kids in the transfer portal and there's not enough room in division one football for those guys to play. So, um, but the rules are there for a reason and we were able to follow the rules this year and get chase here and a running back from down Eastern North Carolina and, uh, safety from Stanford, a, a corner from Wisconsin. And so we're going to use the, the rules to, to really help our program. Last time we spoke, we were talking about a homework assignment. You trying to get up with Luke Combs. Have you been able to do that yet? Uh, not yet. Uh, he is uh, playing here Labor Day weekend. The yes, Saturday he after is. East Carolina game. And uh, hopefully if uh, the good Lord's will, we'll meet up and, you know, and maybe get a pair of those shoes he has signed by Luke Combs. I'm, I'm wondering... He's used to football environments in September on Saturdays. It is Saturday, September the 4th, this concert set to be in the rock. But uh, how much different do you imagine an, an App State football crowd on a Saturday in Boone in that stadium to be versus a concert crowd for Luke Combs? Well, I think it's going to be very comparable. You know, <laughs> uh, App State loves their football, but again, App State loves Luke Combs. And uh, we're very proud of Luke and all of his accomplishments and and he always gives App State a shout-out when he can, so we're going to support him in any way possible. Love that. Coach, best of luck maneuvering through the rest of this spring and then getting into the summer. I'm sure we'll be catching up here in the triad right before the start of the season. Thanks for doing this. Well, I appreciate it. I know you're an East Carolina grad, but just uh, keep uh, pumping <laughs> App State down there in Winston-Salem. Okay? Absolutely. We'll continue to do that, and then we'll make sure we're friends after the fact on September the 2nd. How's that sound? Great. Have a great weekend, guys. Thanks, Coach. You as well. Robert, I, you're a little bit more, I think, emotionally attached to the football side of things than I am for East Carolina. But from your view, ECU, if you can pick one team in the state for them to play every single year that you think would be the most fun thing for them, like an in-state series that you'd like, who would it be? Because for me, it's App State just because of the passion on both sides, the respect they show for each other. I I think it would be the greatest thing. I think they're starting a four-year, uh, a four-game series this year in Charlotte. Yeah, App State would be cool. Uh, I really like Carolina, even though ECU's been down. I, I mean, you could lose to Carolina three times, and that one time you beat them still feels the same. I for think me, ECU's at least. won, what, three straight in that series? Yeah, and they hadn't played them since, right? They... Beat them in 2013, 2014, and also, I think, 2018. I think 2018 was the last time that they've played. We'll see. We've talked. I've talked to Bubba about this. See if they're able to rekindle that. ECU fans and NC State fans are kindred spirits, I feel. Like, the tailgating scene at both those places are very similar. Uh, the degrees you get at both schools kind of similar. I see a lot of NC State and East Carolina and a lot of East Carolina and NC State. That's the way I feel about it. How about a concert-going crowd versus a football crowd? 
Are there major differences between the two? Both are singing songs. Both are, are slogging beers. Hmm. How much different do you think that Luke Combs concert is going to be at The Rock versus an App State football game? Uh, probably a lot less arguments. That's a good point. I don't know what you would argue about at a concert. Good point. Oh, and I got to mention, later on in the show, we've got another family four-pack of tickets to go see the Winston-Salem Dash play the Greenville Drive tomorrow night. So, do we have that sound queued up? Again, we're not giving it away right now, but this is the sound that you will hear when we do decide to give it away. It's a beautiful day for a ball game. Play ball! That's what was playing when baseball was great. Baseball needs to always be that way. Baseball going in the wrong direction. I do love the Super Regionals, even if East Carolina is not having much success there. Enough talk about the Pirates. I want to shift things to the NBA because I think last night was a massive missed opportunity for the Nets. That very well could cost them game four in addition to what we saw in game three. Who's to blame? That's next on The Drive. I think he is very insightful. He makes some really great points. He's the man. He's the man. <laughs> the Drive with Josh Graham on WSJS Sports. Happy Super Regional Friday. Except if you're an East Carolina fan, as me and Robert are ECU grads watching ECU drop its regional, its super regional opener against Vanderbilt two to nothing. Gavin Williams really good for the Pirates, but this rocker kid, top ten pick, soon to be Kumar Rocker, was just a little bit better, and they're facing another top ten pick and Jack Leiter tomorrow. ECU just has to find a way to get to Sunday. But that might be asking too much. Who knows? Probably Darren Vaught, who joins us now. We'll play the movie game in just a bit. Darren knows more about college baseball than anybody else I know. So he's just bursting at the seams to talk college baseball. NC State will have its first super regional game with Arkansas in about 30 minutes. So I understand ECU lost earlier today, and NC State still has a shot in just a bit. But who do you think has a better shot at getting to Omaha out of North Carolina's two in-state teams, ECU or NC State? Oh, it, it would have been a good question this morning. Um, it's probably an even trickier question, given that Vandy's got a game in hand against ECU. Uh, it, I mean, look, I think every ECU fan came into this Super Regional knowing how difficult it was going to be, and you saw you got the good Kumar Rocker, not that he's he's not excellent very often, but uh, you, you got the good one today, weren't able to play enough runs against him, and you know that you're you're going to have to get one over him or arguably the best pitcher in the country this season in Jack Leiter. So I, it's just so tough to get out of. The format is what hurts ECU. Knowing that they've got all three games potentially – for them still to play, I, I, NC State. You don't sound optimistic far. about either. 
I don't. It, it, you know, I, I like both ECU and NC State. I think we talked about it here on the show a couple weeks ago. I think both are plenty capable of being Omaha teams. But they just, man, they got bad draws. Vandy with the two the two aces in the, the best of three super regional format is just a tough draw. And Arkansas is as good as anybody's been in the country. Like They've had one of the most dominant college baseball seasons in recent memory of like the, the past, I'm talking 15 or 20 years. So, they've been that good. Darren Vaught's with us here. So who out of the ACC has the best shot at getting to Omaha? Because like NC State, Virginia and Notre Dame, they're also having to travel on the road. Notre Dame was one of the uh, regional hosts. They're going to another one of those regional hosts from the SEC, Mississippi State. Virginia, meanwhile, is going to Dallas Baptist, who was not a host over the past weekend. So am I right to think that Virginia probably has the best odds here or no? Well, they do. And as a matter of fact, uh, I I picked Dallas Baptist as my sleeper coming into the tournament to get to the College World Series. So it's contradicting that pick. But, yeah, they've got the easiest route. And Dallas Baptist is sort of a, uh, I'm using my air quotes, a mid-major in this regard. But it's a really, really, really good baseball program, and they've they've been consistently very good. They just haven't quite made it to Omaha yet. Um, Virginia just seems to be on one of these 2015-esque runs. So there's potential that they've got some magic there and, and can get back to Omaha. I would give them the best shot and then followed by Notre Dame, um, who, who's a very good team. It's a very good Notre Dame team. But uh, they're just there's some, some tricky draws. There are a lot of good teams in college baseball this year, man. Not all the, not all the, the good teams like, like ECU and NC State are going to be able to make it. Vanderbilt Whistler, go. I tune it out. I, I don't I, – am I, am I like – It's obnoxious, human? man. I, it's obnoxious. I, See, I'm not the old guy either that generally doesn't like the fan stuff. Here's the thing. <laughs> like a bunch a bunch of these environments are awesome, but every pitch, it it falls in line with and I've told my dad this because when he's watching his Towson Tigers or watching NC State or ECU, like he'll be the guy hooping and hollering after every single pitch. He'd be like if one of if his batter's at the plate and a pitch is outside, good eye, good eye, good eye. And, and, and if it's called a strike, it's Come on, Blue! Or something simple as, whoa, whoa, hey, oh! That's obnoxious, too. Every pitch, stop it. Every pitch. It's uh, it's part of the game. It's just as much a game as the... It's just as much uh, a part of the Vanderbilt home team experience as the AstroTurf over the, the pitcher's mound as well, or other little subtle nuances. That. Like I said, I'm, maybe it's because I might be superhuman in that I tune it out. I, I just like really... Vanderbilt, man. It's not just because I'm rooted for ECU. Like, those uniforms are dreadful. How long <laughs> do they have to wear the black uniforms with the white pinstripes before they realize, you know what? It's not going to grow on anybody. These are just dreadful. All of it, it's bad. It's not as bad as their, uh, their, their severely pandering military looking uniforms but like it's one thing to do the camo because nc state does the camo and it's ugly yeah but it's just the camo 
Vandy takes it the next level. They do the camo, but then they'll put also the stars and stripes oh. in the in the lettering. Okay. So like they've got the flag print inside of the lettering with like the army green gross looking uniforms. But I do tend to agree. I, I think the the black, the all black pinstripe is is kind of adult league softball. So all of it was just so dis it was so hard to watch because I'm rooted for ECU. It's frustrating because this pitcher's so damn good. You're wondering why this team's ranked fourth in the country when they have the two best pitchers in America, and then you can't scratch any hits off them. You can't score any runs. I sat there for three hours watching it while trying to prepare a show, had to listen to some guy whistling after every single pitch, and the game's hard to watch because the damn uniforms are hideous. The team that's creaming you. Those uniforms wouldn't be nearly as bad. It's kind of like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers creamsicle uniforms. People are like, oh, this is a great throwback. No, they're a great throwback because everybody kicked the bleep out of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. If Tampa was beating you in those uniforms, you would not like them as a throwback at all. Anyway, let's... It's true. Insult to injury that Gavin Williams, like, brought it. Man, he had a career day. He had a career day. He was phenomenal for the Pirates. 13 Ks. I get it. I get your frustration. That's that's enough college baseball for now. We got the movie game. Robert, (laughs) cheer me up. It's a Friday. I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. It's time for some kind of movie game. All right, all right, all right. With Josh Graham and Darren Vaught. Show me the money. All right, fellas, we got to come up with a better name. I feel like all of our segments have great names. I love the name of the movie game. No, just because it doesn't rhyme, Robert. Come on. I mean, it's just the movie game. I love it. it. It gets right to the point. I love it. All right, well, I'm glad both you guys love it. I love the dismount of the show. We have the movie game, and we have also Rhinestone Cowboy Friday in 15 minutes. You're not finding that anywhere else in sports radio, anybody. (laughs) More than Josh interrupting me, I love my dad, and he is the subject of today's movie game. Uh, So I have a bunch of movies that have great fathers in them. I know Father's Day is coming up, but I didn't want to wait. I'll figure something else out in two weeks. So to start us off... (laughs) In movies with great fathers, uh, you've got Will Smith in The Pursuit of Happiness. Oh, I love this movie. My favorite Will Smith. Really? I think, think, yeah, I think it's my favorite that Will Smith has ever done. It's really hard not to cry in those scenes where he's holding the door shut with his foot in the bathroom when he's struggling. It's just a great, all-time great movie, Dad. I think Ali is probably my favorite Will Smith just because of how well he did it and yeah, I yeah. love Muhammad Ali he's one of the figures in history and in sports that I'll just read anything about books watch movies you name it i fascinated by him and I thought Ali did him or Will Smith did Ali justice I have a score written down do you have one written down Darren I do I've got 81 percent 81 for Josh Darren what are you swinging at I had 88 88. Big surprise. Pursuit of Happiness comes in at 67. Oof. 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 I thought we were both right in the ballpark there. That's why it's a game. You never know with these Rotten Tomatoes scores. You never know. (laughs) That's why we play the game, Robert. (laughs) So I'm up seven on Darren after one. What's the next movie? Uh, You got another one. A great father trying to get to spend a little more time with his kids. It's Robin Williams and Mrs. Doubtfire. 
<laughs> this might be a shocker to you guys. I've never seen Mrs. Doubtfire. Hello! Stop, dude. That's all you need to Stop. Know. Robert knows this. I worship at the at the altar of, of Robin Williams. So this is a this is like a personal favorite for me. Well, I think that's probably going to impact your score. You got to remove yeah, emotion out of it if you want to win. You have the advantage here because I'm I'm trying to to temper my my expectations for this score based on my love for this movie. But I do have a score. All right, Josh, what you got? Ninety. Darren, what'd you go with? Not how I saw that going. I've got a seventy-two. Darren. No. Mrs. Doubtfire comes in at 71. You are Whoa! one point off from a from a deduction to your score. Oh my gosh. That probably just jumped. He probably just jumped me. He did jump you. Uh, after two movies, it is an 11 point differential with Josh being at 33. Darren at 22. If the game ended right now, we would not go to a golden movie because it is not within 10 points. But our third and final movie, uh, another great father in John Q. So I just need to be literally one point better than Darren. That's all I need to do here. We don't play to, to. We don't play for a golden movie. We play to win, Josh. I, are you playing for overtime right now? Like what do we always do? play for overtime if there's the opportunity? Nah, John Q. To win the game. John Q. Man, you, picked, you picked three fantastic movies here, Robert. Like, I'm just kudos on this one. I you was going to do uh, bovine featured movies and go with, like, but there are honestly not that many movies that feature <laughs> cows or bulls since you were doing uh, uh, the play by play for Bull Durham. And I was like, oh, man, I, well, I can't use Bull Durham because then Josh is going to be like, oh, you haven't seen that movie yet. I was going to use Twister. I was going to use uh, Home Twister. on the Range. But then I was like, you know what? I'll figure something else out. I didn't end up going with that. But this was a very easy second place for me. All right. I got a score nice. written down. Josh has got a score. Darren, do you have a score? I've, hold on. I was yammering. Yeah, I've got one now. 83. Darren, what'd you go? I put 84. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. But that's enough if it's lower than 83. If it's enough, that's one difference. Oh, oh. That's one difference if it's lower than 83. John Q comes in at 23. Yes! <laughs> that's enough difference. I hate We're you going guys. to a movie, golden movie, and Robert has to do the math. Uh, all right. Robert has to try and do the math. Just, you know, you got to move, you know, carry the one, carry that over. <laughs> All right, Darren wins because Josh talked back no, there. No, 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 no. We got a golden movie here, and our scores are astronomic. That's what we got. <laughs> Darren is in the lead at 83. Josh trails him at 93. And our final golden movie <laughs> is Taken. Oh, that is a great dad. That's a really great dad. That's a murderous dad, but he's a great dad. Taken. That's a movie you don't have to think about. You just turn it on. I've had a long week. It's Friday. I don't want to think for the next two hours. I just want to see guys slap some Adam's apples for two hours. That's what I want. You and I decompress very differently. <laughs> <laughs> well, you just don't have to think about it. Like, you're probably the guy, man, I need some cheering up this week. I'm going to turn on Manchester by the Sea. 
I do love, I do love that film. <laughs> I do Steve love Affleck that film. Affleck with a great performance in it. Yeah. Man, <laughs> man. Okay. I got a number written down. I just want to go on the record and say Liam Neeson in Taken, the worst dad of the four that we've brought up. I could get down with that. I've got a particular set of skills. Good luck, Darren. That is a set like, of skills that dads have to have, though, is sounding really mean over the phone. Like, you don't necessarily have that. to be able to act on that in person. Like, But you do have to strike the fear of God into like uh, a boy that's dating your daughter or what have you over the phone. That's a definite dad skill. Uh, you guys got something written down so I can start I on do. this long-form division to figure out who wins. I've got the score written down. Same. Josh, what you got? 87. I'm going high on Taken because I think Darren's going to go lower than that. I need to make up 10 here. Darren, help me out. Go round number with, here. I went with 70. <laughs> you did not, you dumb. <laughs> he went 70, so there is enough difference here where I could get the win. Do I get the moment of Zen or is it Darren, the movie game, closing out the week? The score for Taken is... Taken comes in at 59. Oh, bleep. Josh is in second with 38, and that means Darren is your movie game winner this week with a score of 21. Darren, let the people know. I don't have much for my moment of sin today, but I am going to say and acknowledge my guy Cole in the house with you guys for the first time today, right? Yeah. He's in here with us, that's for sure. All right, well, you guys be good to him because that's Cole with a K. He plays by Mortal Kombat rules. It's, there's no telling what he's capable of if you cross him. So just be good to Cole. That is noted. That's it. Noted. That's my moment is in. It's it. Stop. Cut the music. Cut it. That's very kind. See you later, Darren. <laughs> See you, guys. There he goes. Darren Bott joining us. USA Baseball Podcast. Is nuts. You sound insane. Do you realize that? You should be medicated. This is The Drive with Josh Graham on WSJS Sports. This is not the vibe I want going into the weekend. Not just talking about ECU baseball, but also the story in the NHL where a Hurricanes assistant has been given permission to interview elsewhere, which might be a signal that the Rod Brindamore contract negotiations aren't going the way that we want them to. But that's not the vibe I want. We just played the movie game. That was fun. We've got an intern in here. I don't know if he's going to sing the song. I don't think he knows the words. Yeah, probably not. It's called Rhinestone Cowboy. And it's a Rhinestone Cowboy Friday, so let's get after it, Robert Walsh. Like a Rhinestone Cowboy. Riding out on a horse in a star-spangled rodeo. We'll take it to the house in a sec. Like Like a Rhinestone Cowboy. Getting cards and letters from people I don't even know. And all forms coming over. Let's take it to the house. Past the 15. Past the 15. 
past the 10, past the 5, for the drive, will take it to the house! One, two, three! Take notes of the words next time, Cole. Oh yeah, we're going to get him a lyric sheet. Uh, Alright, so an Israeli archaeologist found a 1,000-year-old egg, untouched by time, buried in the muck, unbroken, and as they were removing it from that tar pit they found it in, it shattered everywhere. And it was it was going to be a huge scientific breakdown because they were going to use the DNA and be able to track stuff uh, from current animals to how they evolved, and they've never found an egg in its entirety. And it just slipped through their fingers, and it cracked. Yeah, like what a what a drop the ball moment. Like I wonder if you could see like the parallels to both sides of this. Did this set us back as a society? Like, uh, would we have found something that was necessary for the evolution, the the ongoing parade of mankind? Did we miss something? Here? We might have. Uh, I could see why this reminded you of the Dave Chappelle episode where. They're cracking the two dinosaur eggs, making fun of Cribs. What show is more ridiculous, Cribs or Pimp My Ride? Because I watched a clip from Pimp My Ride like 15 years ago uh, in the last few weeks or so, and there's like TV screen on the mud flaps. Like, who's that for? Yeah, the problem with both of those is they were both fake. Like, were they? Pimp My Ride, they made people pay for the cars if they actually wanted them, or they would take all the improvements back. And Cribs, half the time, that was not actually even a house that they owned. Oh. I know, it's, it's, that's television for you. You it's can't like, trust anything. It's like Remember the Titans. People love that movie, even though everything in it pretty much is not true. Have a great weekend, everybody!